you all know where we uh, are schedule-wise, just from your, uh, y'all, yes, uh, from your, uh, it's a very useful term, even as far north as this, um, it, uh, from your packets, and uh, in your packets you have an outline from which George is speaking, you can tell us whether note-taking on that, probably there's not really room on that for much note-taking, so we are recording the sessions, right Thomas? Yes. We are recording these sessions of, of teaching. Um, just uh, we have some new people with us also who are uh, local here, and uh, there may be a couple of others that come in as well this afternoon for for this portion. Um, over on the table, I've mentioned before uh, the book "Loving the Church, Blessing the Nations," which is available. If you don't have a copy, that's ten dollars there, um, and just leave it in the cup. And then um, one of the concepts is maybe um, that this teaching may develop into another section in each well as well. I've been telling George, I think, actually this is another book in itself. And I've been encouraging him to think in terms of writing that direction. So I'm um, going to have uh, next hour or so with George uh, speaking and uh, some maybe some interchange during that hour. Then we have a, 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 a period of time of discussing with the whole body after that. Uh, we'll take a break and then have that uh, time to really talk with one another and some reflections from some of the leaders, uh, other leaders of Antioch Network that are going to be uh, speaking to this theme and uh, just uh, sharing some from some of their experiences on it. So that's kind of what's laying in front of us. You all ready to go? Yes. Okay, well, we gave you that period of time in the afternoon, George, where people's minds are the most alert. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you come and share with us and let me pray for you. Thank you. Lord, we uh, thank you for the ways that you brought this teaching together, and uh, we thank you for what you're doing uh, in the reawakening of, um, of this, uh, this gifting and calling in your body around the world. And uh, it's our heart to understand more and more deeply what you're doing. So we pray you'd speak through George now as he shares with us that uh, you would be speaking to the deep places in our own hearts as we reflect on uh, the impact of this and what you're saying to each of us in our own lives uh, and our uh, various arenas of ministry where you've given us the privilege of working. We give you thanks and we uh, set this time aside in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, f I feel like I want to say to begin with that um, it, it feels to me to be such a privilege to be able to speak to you on this subject. I, I feel that it's a sacred subject. The word apostle has become um, one of the most precious words in the English language to me. And um, and on the one hand, I feel like um, I have been exposed to this ministry my whole adult Christian life. And on the other hand, I feel that I'm still learning. And so um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to... Um, lead us in some thinking about this subject, and I am grateful 
that we have the opportunity after I do that to interact with each other about it. I'm sure I'm going to learn more. And I think our, our understanding will grow as we, as we share with each other. I want to start off our, oh, I'm going to be teaching from the notes that you have. The second part of the notes is taken from the book, Loving the Church, Blessing the Nations. There's obviously no way I can possibly cover all this material. So um, I have picked out some highlights um, to share today, tomorrow, and the next day um, that I hope will get us into the essence of this very, very precious biblical teaching. A um, couple of weeks ago, I was... Um, having some time with the Lord, and I felt like the Lord said to me, this um, teaching on apostolic ministry is about the church. We can approach this and think this is about individuals and whether or not they're gifted in this way. I think in the end this is about the church. And I think Christ's design for the church requires the mature expression of this ministry. So that underscores the sense of sacredness of this subject. Um, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, to a passage that the Lord brought home to me um, in a very powerful way at some point early on in my ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And it's the, uh, the passage that I begin with when I think about this subject. And the words that came to me from the translation I had at that point was, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. What are the characteristics of a godly person? What are the characteristics of a godly leader? One characteristic is he or she does not quarrel. 2 Timothy 2, um, 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Isn't that powerful? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So when we come to the subject of apostolic ministry, there are differences of opinion. There are differences of opinion in the body of Christ generally. There are differences of opinion, no doubt, even in this group. How do we deal with these differences of opinion? We respect one another. So my desire in what I'm going to say is not to present what I think in some kind of dogmatic way to try to get you to believe what I believe. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is share 
with sensitivity and respect the understandings that I have come to. Realizing that you may have different understandings and desiring that we might learn from one another. And that um, extends to the different traditions from which we come. We come from different church traditions that have different understandings about this. And God's servant learns to function in those different streams, in those different traditions, without catalyzing quarrels, but with res expressing respect and an openness to learn from one another. Let me just give you really quickly something of the background that brought me to this. I think that will help you to know the context. I shared a little bit last night about Antioch Network's journey with this. As we uh, found ourselves serving churches, particularly churches that had a vision to initiate among unreached people groups, we found that some churches were really able to do this but others not. And we found ourselves grappling, what is the key here? Why is one church um, seemingly more able to do this in an effective way than others? And the more we sought the Lord on that, the more we found ourselves realizing it boils down to the kind of leadership. What God is calling us to do, he gifts us to do. The, the gifting reflects the calling. And when the gifting is not there, it is vain to teach that somebody should do something when the gifting is not there. When God is calling us to do something, there will be the corresponding gifting that will facilitate what God is calling us to do. And so we thought, you know, whatever that gifting is that is needed to do this, has got to be in the New Testament. And as we, again, explore that deeper, of course, we were led very quickly to the um, word apostle and the ministry of an apostle. Now, the more I found myself getting into this, the more I realized that I had been walking in this since my mid-20s. So my... Um, my experience, my background is that when I was 25 years old, I was in India. And I was part of the initial birthing of OM's work in India. And we uh, found ourselves very quickly with 20 different teams in different parts of India, more and more Indians joining the teams. That meant developing Indian leadership for the teams. I would travel around one week with this team, one week with that team, one week with the other team, mornings in evangelism, afternoons in teaching, working with the leaders. And so we were developing leadership. And out of that, a work grew that today, I don't know, is, uh, I'm sure, in the thousands of workers that are involved in that work. Then, after five years in India, I found myself giving leadership to the OM ship Logos. That wasn't my plan. I didn't want to do this. I fought against it. But here we had a ship, and we had not only um, the professional crew, but we also had OMers and people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And we had all kinds of leadership positions that we need to fill. The book exhibition 
um, leadership, the program leadership, the lineup leadership, the training leadership, and we had to take people and put them into these um, positions of leadership and then work with them as they developed in their leadership. Pretty soon we had more leaders than we needed for one ship, and so uh, prayer began for a second ship. God gave us a second ship. Leadership continued to be produced. We started an um, international ship headquarters in Germany that's still going today. And the ship ministry within OM got to be one-third of the whole mission. I mean, at that point, we were 1,500 missionaries in OM, and 500 of those missionaries were with the ships. And the, <laughs> the, 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 the whole mission had to ask us in the ship ministry to go into uh, maintenance mode because they didn't want the whole of OM to be known as ships. So all of that, not all of those leaders were apostolic leaders, but all of that context was a context of leadership development. And, uh, of course, in that mix, there was a rich mix of those who were called and gifted apostolically. So it's from that background that I'm speaking to you. That doesn't have anything to do with all of the With every port that we would go to, we'd have conferences for pastors, conferences for missionaries, um, conferences for youth, and uh, all of the different Christian leaders and missionaries that we uh, were privileged to know and serve with. I was telling somebody at lunch, Hannah and I were married by Buck Singh in India. Buck Singh is a convert from Sikhism. And, uh, you know, when we met him, he and his ministry had planted 200 living assemblies throughout India with many Muslim and uh, Hindu converts. And if there ever was an apostolic leader, Buck Singh was an apostolic leader, he married us and, uh, and became a dear friend. He was my original um, mentor in the life of the local church. So all of that is the background um, from which I'm speaking and which leads me to this subject. Now that brings us to the issue of terminology. We need terminology to release the truth that God wants to release. And the word apostle can trigger ambivalence. So that's one word we can use. What kind of terminology is going to give us, is going to free us here rather than than limit us? So we can use the word apostle. He is an apostle. She is an apostle. Another word that we can use is an apostolic leader. We can go to the adjective. He is an apostolic leader. She is an apostolic leader. We can go further in that and use apostolically gifted. He is an apostolically gifted leader. Or we can say he is an apostolic type leader. If we use apostolically gifted or apostolic type, You can translate that into your own theology. If you believe that there are apostles today, you can be comfortable with that. If you don't believe that there are apostles today, you can more easily, I think, believe that there are leaders today who resemble the ministry of the apostles or have a similar kind of ministry to the ministry of the apostles. So again, we're looking for terminology that frees us and that doesn't trigger quarrels. And the um, terminology that I love to use is apostolic leader or apostolically gifted leader. Now, the minute we use that word apostolically gifted leader, 
that introduces us to a concept that we're going to talk about later, and that is the mature expression of this ministry. So there's a difference between the initial gift and the mature expression. We can talk more about that. So that, that helps us to answer the question, which is an important question, are there apostles today? Are there apostles today? Or were the original 12 apostles the only apostles, and after them and the New Testament era, there are no more apostles? Um, there's an answer to that in your notes. Let me just say briefly... Certainly the 12 that Jesus personally trained are unique. They play a unique role, certainly. The next thing to say is that the New Testament does actually identify other people as apostles. Obviously, Paul is identified by the New Testament as an apostle. Barnabas is identified as an apostle. James, the brother of the Lord, is identified as an apostle. Possibly, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Silvanus and Timothy are apostles, depending on how you read that. Possibly, in Romans 16, Andronicus and Unius are apostles, depending on how you read that again. And Unius is a feminine name which introduces a question that we'll deal with uh, later on about what about women? What about women? And so we can say that the New Testament itself identifies other people as apostles. Now, um, there are many in the body of Christ that will go that far, but they will say no. You know, by the time that the New Testament um, was finished, there were no more apostles because we had the New Testament. So um, that um, brings us to this question. What is the um, defining characteristic of an apostle? What are the defining characteristics? Is one of the defining characteristics of an apostle someone who has written scripture? Now as we look at the canon of the New Testament, we find that there are five cases of apostles writing scripture that we are sure about. Matthew wrote scripture. Peter wrote scripture. John wrote scripture. Paul wrote scripture. James wrote scripture. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Jude. But scholars generally agree that it was not um, the apostle. And so the most we can say is we know for sure that five apostles wrote scripture. On the other hand, Luke, who wasn't an apostle, wrote more scripture than anybody other than Paul. I think I worked that out if you, at least if you go by chapters. I haven't counted the words. Luke wrote a lot of scripture. I think Paul wrote more. Luke wasn't an apostle. So my own sense of that would be that this is not um, an essentially defining characteristic of an apostle as to having written scripture. Now another thing that is often felt about apostles 
is that a characteristic of an apostle is someone who planted churches. Certainly, one of the key characteristics of the call of an apostle is to initiate. And certainly, if we are initiating, there's going to be the planting of churches. So certainly, the planting of churches belongs very much in this conversation. To say that it is only churches that apostles start, my own sense of that is it would be good for us to reflect on that for a minute. And one of the themes that I want to um, I want us to dialogue about, and I just feel like this could be um, a little bit sensitive. So I, I don't want it to be sensitive, and I don't want to take you someplace you don't want to go. But I want to present this to you for your consideration. Many of us are formed by a free church ecclesiology. What does that mean? It means that we can relate to the local expression of the church. And we can also relate to the universal expression of the church. But there is not in our understanding of the church what I would call in this context a translocal expression of the church. My suggestion to you for your consideration as you consider this is that the apostolic calling is a translocal calling. And so if you don't have a symbol in your mind of the translocal compartment of the church, you're going to have a hard time ultimately fitting in apostolic ministry because if all you have is the local congregation and the universal church, it's going to be hard to fit that in. That is the root of the conflict that has been part of some of our experience between the local church and the mission agency. If we can come to a place of comfort with the fact that both are equally part of the church. Bill Bright, was he an apostolic leader? Did he plant local churches? Lord, I know he may have. I, I don't know the answer. But obviously his major ministry expression was birthing Campus Crusade for Christ. Lauren Cunningham, is he an apostolic leader? Yes. yes. Is he known, is his major area of ministry planning local churches? So, um, my suggestion to us, my own understanding, is that apostolic leaders initiate works of God Local churches are certainly involved, but there are other things that are also involved. In fact, we're going to talk about this later. I think it is uh, a key calling of apostolic leaders to initiate reconciliation among the church. It's another apostolic calling in my own understanding. So think about that. I'm not trying to uh, change any conviction you might have, but we need an understanding. Is that 
Is that the only thing that an apostle can do is uh, plant local churches? Now, having said all of that, kind of trying to clear the way a little bit for our understanding, what are the New Testament characteristics of apostles or apostolic leaders? So I've got 14. There's a longer list in Loving the Church, Blessing the Nations. And we're not going to get to all of these 14 today. Um, but I, I, I do want to start today. And I want to suggest to you 14 characteristics that the New Testament tells us are characteristic of apostolic leaders. The first one is apostolic leaders are called by God. <coughs> Galatians 1.1 Apostolic leaders are called by God. This isn't something that someone decides, oh gee, it would be nice to be that. And I'm going to say this later, but it feels like now is the right time. You don't want to choose this out of your own free will. This isn't a fun thing. If you are given vision by God, it will cost you everything. And there are times when you will cry out, oh God, take this from me. Apostolic leaders are called by God in a way that is inescapable. Galatians 1.1 Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I mean, can you feel the authority in those words? Paul knew that he had been called to be an apostle. Apostles are people who are called by God. Secondly, apostolic leaders carry vision given to them by God. Apostolic leaders carry vision given to them by God. Acts 20, verse 22. You know, this passage in Acts 20... There's so many passages in the New Testament that to me are just so incredibly rich when it comes to the subject of apostolic ministry. This um, Acts chapter 20 is one of them. Beginning at verse 17, Paul meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus for the last time. And as an apostle, as a spiritual father, he is speaking to these elders from his heart. And you can see, as he speaks, the cost that his calling has required of him. Uh, Acts 20, verse 22. And behold, now I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city 
that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Constrained by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the only thing the Spirit is telling me is that afflictions and imprisonment await me. I believe one of the roles of apostolic leaders is to minister to the prophets. There is a precious relationship between apostolic leaders and prophetically gifted and ministering people. One of the roles that apostles have when it comes to prophets is to listen to them. <laughs> Another role that apostolic leaders have, not only to prophets but to everybody, is to call us to maturity. We live in a day of great superficiality. The superficiality is so broad and so common that it feels normal. And so people who are called by God and gifted by God step right into that superficiality and function within that superficiality and everybody else they know is functioning with that superficiality and suddenly the understanding uh, in the whole group is just uh, understood to be normal but it's nobody realizes how superficial it is. And I feel within my spirit this call to the prophets. God is speaking and he is not only speaking in triumphal ways. I got a prophetic word, January the 1st. It sent via Austria. It was triumphal. God, about all the great things God is going to do in 2011. I don't have any doubt that God is going to do great things in 2011, and I'm not saying that word wasn't from God. There's also going to be a lot of suffering in 2011. This is the word that Paul got here. It wasn't Paul, just go and do it. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to write all these books from prison. It's going to be, you're going to be going from glory to glory. And pretty soon you're going to be in the heavens. It wasn't that. It's, you know, you're going to be imprisoned. This is part of the prophetic tradition. The calling of God's people. The warning of God's people of suffering to come. And here comes the main message. The holiness of God. The holiness of God. The prophets of Israel spoke of the holiness of God and called the people of God from their superficiality, from their sin, from their idolatry, back to the holiness of God and warned the people that if we don't go back to the holiness of God, there will be suffering to count. 
I'm waiting for this kind of prophet, prophetic ministry. If we want to see the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed among all nations, we must hear the prophetic word to return to the holiness of God and the call to suffering. May God raise up apostles that will give that word in humility and gentleness. Apostolic leaders called carry vision to them, given by them by God. Caution. Sometimes when we talk about apostolic <coughs> ministry, we hear the word entrepreneurial. So that an apostolic leader is really an entrepreneurial leader. Now, I believe that there are some significant similarities. I'm not suggesting that's wrong. But I have a caution for you. Here's my caution. Part of the superficiality of that day is the secularization of the church. We have lost the Judeo-Christian symbolic system. And we have embraced the secular symbols of the business world, brought them right into the church, translated them into the church, and in doing so, we have brought meanings into the church that have been lost. So the word entrepreneurial, or saying that an apostolic leader is an, is an entrepreneurial leader, has the danger that we lose important meanings that are only conveyed in the Judeo-Christian symbolic system. For example, this work is to be an Isaac. Do not birth an Ishmael. For example, being called by God. For example, being given vision by God. Vision that comes from God is not the same thing as entrepreneurial vision in the business context. It's not the same. It initiates from God. You see, what we must be careful, what we must be careful, and this feeds the superficiality, we must be careful with anything that is soulish. There is that which is soulish that is good, but it's only soulish, and it doesn't carry with it spiritual authority, and it doesn't produce spiritual fruit. So we're talking about men and women anointed, called, given, and anointed of God to birth that which is from the Spirit. Just a word of caution. Point number three, the third characteristic. Apostolic leaders are gifted by God for the ministry to which he has called them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking here, or Paul is talking here about gifting. I've <laughs> got a new Bible here. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So my understanding is that this is a chapter about spiritual gifts. Now we get down toward the end of the chapter, 
Verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. Now, we won't spend time to talk about that, but it's worth meditating in your mind to what degree is our apostles first. First apostles, second prophets, third, uh, what is it, teachers. Think about that. I understand from this that there is an apostolic gifting. Now let me talk to you for just a minute about the process of ministry development. This is true of apostolic leaders. It's true right across the board in Christian ministry. There is a process of development. And the process of development runs something like this. This is not mathematical, it's human, it's of the spirit, but these stages, I think, are recognizable. The first stage is calling. God calls people, not just apostolic leaders. God calls people. People hear the voice of God. Are you hearing the voice of God? Some would say, well, I'm not sure. Are you placing yourself in a place where you can listen? Calling. Secondly, gifting. God gives gifts for that which he has called us to do. And when we function in our gifting, there's nothing more fulfilling. People will pay you to allow them to function in their gifting. They'll pay you to do it. So, back to the ships for a minute. You know, if you have a ship, the doulas had 300 to 350 people, and you get a whole new uh, bunch of new recruits, you know, 100 people, they, you know, you got them for two years. You got all these work assignments that you have to fulfill. So, you know, you just start plugging people into work assignments. And if they complain, you just tell them, you know, Jesus suffered for you, you suffered for him. <laughs> then the day comes when you, you, you grow up a little bit and you realize all these people are gifted. And they're gifted in certain ways. And so the key is not plugging them into the slot that you think they should be plugged into. The key is discerning their gifts and then leading them into a place that will enable them to fulfill their gifts. Because the fulfilling of their gifts is the fulfilling of their calling. And when they're walking in that calling and walking in their gifting, they're not getting burned out. They're full of the life of God within them. So there's calling, gifting. Thirdly, there is the formation of Christ-like character. Now, the great superficiality that we refer to can very easily miss this. So let me give it to you within apostolic ministry right away. To understand apostolic ministry, you must begin in the Gospels. You don't begin in the book of Acts. You don't begin in the epistles. You begin in the Gospels. Because Jesus, the master trainer of apostolic leaders, was laying the foundation of apostolic ministry in the Gospels. And until we have Christ-like people, we don't have Christian ministry. We don't have 
New Testament ministry in its full expression. And may God save us from people who understand themselves to be apostles and others understand them to be apostles and then are formed in the likeness of Jesus. May God deliver us from that. This is not New Testament apostleship. Calling, gifting, formation of Christ-like character, testing, testing, testing. It's not all glamorous. It's not all um, triumphal. There's testing. There's failure. Testing. Then there is anointing. Anointing is the Holy Spirit upon a person. That's not the same as gifting. There is anointing. And then finally, there's the mature expression of calling. So there is calling, I submit to you, that never reaches its full expression. Because character has not been formed. There is ego. There is selfish ambition. James tells us selfish ambition leads to quarrels and chaos. Much of the chaos among God's people has been caused by selfish ambition on the part of the leaders. So what we want is mature expression. Now how long does that take? Restore the ancient anointings. Ryan, somebody was asking Ryan today, well, I, you know, how are you doing in that two-year program? Those people ready to go plant churches among unreached people yet? How long does it take? How long does it take to make someone who is mature and rooted enough in God to do that? I don't think there's a number, but it's a process and it's deep. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to go deep. It's God's job to take it broad. It's our job to go deep with God. Now, do you want, and this is not the place and we're not going to do it, but how would you like a candid, not recorded view of missionary, the history of missions? How would you like a candid, not recorded history of the church in our day, even your tradition and my tradition? How many works have not made it? How many leaders have not made it? Do you know that there is a large percentage, more than we would ever want to know, of Christian leaders who don't make it? Their marriage doesn't make it. Their character doesn't make it. Their relationship with money doesn't make it. They started well. And when we start targeting unreached peoples, or when we start targeting reconciliation with the church, all hell will break loose. All hell will break loose. The devil is going to target those who are being called to this kind of ministry. Well, what can we do about it? Go deep with God. He is our Zuflucht, they say in German. He is our refuge. 
Go deep with God. And in God's way and in God's time, he will take it broad. I believe we are to give the call within Antioch Network. Go deep with God. Go deep with God. And leave the results to God. So there is a... What we're really wanting here when it comes to apostolic leaders is the mature expression of that calling. The mature expression. Okay, that leads us to this question. Can women be called and gifted, and I'm, I'm phrasing it this way, so track with me. Let me read slowly. Can women be called and gifted by God in ways that result in apostolic ministry? My understanding is that there is no New Testament gifting that is gender-specific. I think women can be gifted in the same way that men do, are gifted, and I don't know any exception to that. Well, if God gifts someone in a certain way, man or woman, and if that person, man or woman, goes deep with God, grows in God's character, that gifting is going to be expressed. And my own understanding, you might not agree with me, but my own understanding is that women can be called and gifted in this way. In fact, I have met them throughout my, <laughs> throughout my Christian ministry life. I've just met a lot of them. And when we read history, we read a lot, we, we meet, you know, a lot of them. My own understanding. There is a book that has been written on this subject that I have found really helpful. It's not specifically apostolically gifted women, it's women in general, but it's by Lauren Cunningham and another brother, I keep forgetting his name, but he's a really gifted teacher. You can tell, you can tell when War <laughs> Lauren is writing and when this teacher is writing, you know, very different style. <laughs> But um, the name of the book is Why Not Women? David Hamilton. David Hamilton. Thanks, Jason. And, you know, I, I, I just want to say to you sisters, <coughs> I really believe in you. I am so thankful for you. I see God's hand on you. We men need you. <coughs> That's my understanding. Point number four. Characteristics of apostolic leaders. New Testament characteristics of apostolic leaders. Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Philippians 3, we read this this morning... Let's just read it again. Philippians 3, verse 7. These are the words of an apostle. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. People spoke well of me. 
I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What is your theology about setting goals? There's a good, there's a good place to set goals. I mean, I mean, you know, we all got to get to the airport. You know, it's it's kind of using our analytical brains to figure out how we're going to get to the airport can be really good. But be careful with goals. Goals can come from the soul. Goals can come from the ego. Goals can come from um, triumphalism, romanticism. The New Testament goal is to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That's the New Testament goal. Study Paul's goals. That's his goal. <coughs> Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. We've already, we've already made the statement that to understand apostolic ministry, we begin in the Gospels. Let me just turn with me for a minute to Luke 6. I, 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 I feel like I just... I, I feel like I just want to talk about Jesus. Luke 6, t- t- just how, how crucial this is. Luke six twenty seven. Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And you say, George, what's this got to do with apostolic ministry? I think it has everything to do with apostolic ministry. It's the very core of apostolic ministry. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tuning. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You say, well, gee, how is that possible to live like that? That's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of Christians say. That produces even theologies. Why? We don't have to live that way. Jesus is so wise and so perceptive and so deep that he begins to give us the answer of how we can live this way. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now right there is Jesus beginning to give us the answer. If you love those who love you, what does that mean? 
That's what the sinners do. In other words, the person that the sinners has become produces that activity. You love those who love you. This is about becoming like Jesus. The whole message of the New Testament, the whole, me the whole message of the gospel of the kingdom is in Christ we can become a different kind of person. It's not about doing this, doing that, gritting your teeth and trying again to love your enemies. You have to become the kind of person who loves your enemies. How do we become that kind of person? Become like Jesus. That was the kind of person he was. This is what we were created for. We read this morning, God created us in his own likeness. I was created in God's likeness. I was created the kind of person to love my enemies. That's what I was created to do. But I went away from my father. I went away from him. Why did I do that? That was the most insane decision I've ever made. I went away from my father. There's no father that could be ever more wonderful than the father I had. He's always available. He's not moody. He never changes. He's wise. He's kind. He's all-powerful. He's gentle. He's rich, and he's also generous. My father. I went away from him. I went away from him. Seeking a life that was better than life with him. That's what I did. And when I did that, damage took place within me. And I became the kind of person that hated my enemies. And my father loved me so much, he made a way for me to come home again. And the way is Jesus. And this is what apprenticeship to Jesus is all about. Becoming the kind of person who loves our enemies. And if we don't know that in our own lives and can't teach that to others, how can we be apostolic leaders? Or better to put, let me put it another way, how can we walk in a mature expression of apostolic ministry if we don't know that? Because that's the absolute core of the Christian life. It's not about doing things. It's about becoming a new person. The last thing that we read um, uh, about God as creator, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. You know, we were in Poland at the place, the mill, alongside the river near Kelno. The mill is in ruins now, but that's where Hannah's parents were kept the last night before they were gassed. We were at that mill. And as we were there, I heard Jesus say, I am making all things new. And so Jesus goes on. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Sinners do that. If you lend to those from who you expect to receive, what credit is that for you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies... Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. In other words, this is how God is like. And so Jesus goes on to talk about the tree. A good tree brings forth good fruit. A bad tree brings forth bad fruit. 
Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Now, one other, and we're through for the day. Characteristic number five. Apostolic leaders are sent by God. You know, I think I'm going to not deal with that now because I'm aware of that time, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. So we'll pick it up there um, tomorrow. Thank you for your attention. I bless you. And again, it's such a privilege for me to be able to talk about these sacred things. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have gifted your church with apostolic leaders. We pray for a new release. We believe there is a great need. Oh, Father, what about those of us in this room? What is your calling on us? Lord, whatever your calling is, we want to walk in its mature expression. Teach us your ways. Thank you, Father. We entrust these matters to you now. The words that have been spoken that are from you, take them deep into our hearts. The words that have been spoken that are wood, hay, and stubble, remove them from our minds. Bring glory to yourself and guide us in our interaction. We pray in Jesus' name.